Welcome to the Dauntless Grace Exchange. I'm Deidre. And I'm Megan. And today we want to talk about something I've been fascinated with lately, and that is attachment styles or the attachment theories, I feel like I've also heard it called. And I just, I kind of want to put like a disclaimer on this episode by saying um, we are not licensed therapists, nor have we ever studied attachment styles beyond the few weeks worth of Googling I have done about attachment styles and listening to some podcasts. So we have this habit, I have this habit of learning a teeny bit about something and then deciding to talk about it publicly. And I think that everyone should be okay with that. I think, yes, let's do it. Because the truth is I have read some things about it, but never like a comprehensive look at this theory and these types of attachments. And so when you were seeing things that tied it with potentially an overlay of Enneagram styles, I was like, oh, okay, interesting. Let's, let's like dig into that. Plus I like the fact that um, the particular way that we're going to address this is like sitting in a four-part diagram, which is very nice, like low and high kinds of sides on it helps me understand it better. For people who are more visual as I am, um, maybe we can throw a graphic in our show notes or just the language that we're using. Uh Uh-huh. Did you just commit me to making a graphic for this? Well, you sent me something that was a square with the four quadrants. I did? Did you not? That's what I thought I remembered looking at first. Oh, I might have taken a screenshot of a of a doctoral dissertation that I found that did yeah. a lot of studies to see the overlay of Enneagram and attachment styles. I I got deep into some research on this. Uh, which we don't want to share that specific one because we're not no. sure that we agree with the way the Enneagram breaks down into it. But let's just start with explaining, defining what we're talking about with attachment styles. Okay. So according to this very scientific website, I literally just Googled. Attachment is a special emotional relationship that involves an exchange of comfort, care, and pleasure. And these are established in childhood through the infant caregiver relationship. And I think the like main research study done on this was, oh, you've probably heard this too. So correct me if I get the details wrong, but they basically had like mothers or caregivers playing with their infants or I don't know, toddlers, like, like before talking age, I think. And they had them in a room interacting and then the caregiver would leave the room and they would observe how the infant reacted when the caregiver came back into the room. Right. And it was like, did they go to them? Did they ignore them? Were they, did they cry? Did they like, what, how did they react to that? And based on that study, they came up with what is now, I believe four main attachment styles. Um, Does that sound right? (laughs) That study. And one of the things they were also, um, gauging was the child's stress level. So their heartbeat, their breathing, everything. And so what we do want to mention is regardless of whether they were avoidant, like not going to the parent or crying, they were both at the same stress level. So when we put some words to this, it's going to sound like some people need more than others, but that's not the truth. We all need a primary caregiver and we all need connection. So these are like strategies that we used to get what we needed, right? Uh, right. Totally before we had any thoughts about it because this was, they're built into us. Um, but they're also just kind of our our instinct for how we can get what we need. So I, I don't want to use the word strategy because that sounds like we premeditated what it would be. Um, 
But anyway, the child who doesn't look like they need their mom is actually just as stressed about her leaving as the child who was crying when she left. I just want to point that out because I think that might color kind of how we have this conversation. There's not one that's better or worse or more needy or less needy necessarily. Every infant needs a caregiver and every infant and caregiver need a healthy connection. So that just put that out there. Right. And I think the words I always heard with it were that you either had secure attachment, anxious attachment, or avoidant attachment. And now I think they've taken avoidant and broken them into two separate ones. So it looks like dismissive avoidant or fearful avoidant. So those are the four primary categories I've been looking at. Secure, anxious, dismissive avoidant, fearful avoidant. Yeah. I want to say those one more time for everyone who is more like I am, who cannot learn from an auditory word like that, needs to see it. <laughs> so I don't know how to make you see it on a podcast, but you said <laughs> secure that has its own, you know, and anxious. We kind of see those at two different sides. And then this avoidant is split in dismissive or fearful. Yes. Um, but those that language is encapsulating these two things that they're measuring, right? So we have anxiety and avoidance are really the two things. So you can have low anxiety or high anxiety, and that's paired with low avoidance or high avoidance. And that's how we come up with these four things. So in my mind, that helps. I don't know if it helps you listener, if you are a, um, processor like I am where I have to see something, but really the two things, the two factors are anxiety and avoidance. Those are really the two things we're measuring. It's just how high up on one side and how far out on the other, on the graph, where do you fall in that? Right. Like, so you have to picture an X, Y, like axis inside like this. So the four quadrants are either low anxiety, high anxiety, or low avoidance, high avoidance. Yes. And so whether you have secure, anxious, or avoidant, it's going to depend on where you fall on if your anxiety is low or high and your avoidance is low and high. And that's going to plot on your little chart which of the quadrants you're in. So hopefully that helps a little bit, or I just really confused everyone. But I just want to, it sounds like four different things. In reality, it's really two different things, but we have four categories because you can have low and high in both. So... It makes sense that the secure attachment is the low anxiety and low avoidance. Right. Are you going to go through all four or? I don't know. Yeah. Well, sure. Let's do it next. Okay. The other low anxiety, but high avoidance is the dismissive avoidant. The high anxiety, high avoidance is the fearful avoidant. And then the high anxiety, low avoidant is anxious. I really don't know how to teach us without like a whiteboard. So I don't know how to follow along. <laughs> well, I think we just kind of go through all four of those again and then talk about what that means to have like lower high anxiety and lower high avoidance. And then, yeah. you know, the dissertation I found that really did an Enneagram slash attachment styles like thesis, they did end up breaking the nine numbers down into these four quadrants. And I didn't hate it. I don't love everything they came up with. Like, cause you can't fit nine numbers into four boxes really easily. I don't love how they ended up splitting some of it, but for the most part, I don't think they were totally wrong. Um, so it might help to just throw a number in with these to kind of see like, this is how it maybe it can play out if you, if you're more familiar with Enneagram, right? Yeah, I think so. So for secure attachment styles. Oh, I also want to throw the caveat that last week we talked about stances, right? Stances are about 
We talked orientation to time and our repressed center of intelligence, but they're also about relational energy. And we talked about how the aggressive stance has that at against energy. The dependent stance has that toward dutiful energy and the withdrawing stance has that away withdrawn energy. And that is how all of us people, all of us react to whatever relational dynamic is happening, whether that's work or our kids or our friends or intimate relationships or whatever, we kind of have an instinct to go toward away or at, right? Attachment styles are a little bit different because that's primarily our most intimate relationships where we have those bonds. We're not manifesting attachment style relationships, maybe with a work colleague that we only have a meeting with every month. Those are for our closest friends, for our parents or siblings or spouses, um, things like that. Right. Right. Okay. So in that same vein, if our instinct in an intimate relationship is to start in that stance, relational energy, and we're either met with an energy that we don't like, or that doesn't work for us, or that feels like there's a disconnect happening, then we might pull on that attachment style as like the strategy, like you said, to kind of get the thing that we need in that relationship without even being aware that we're doing it. Mm -hmm. So for example, as an Enneagram four, I am in, am I getting in the weeds here? Your face looks confused. Okay. As an Enneagram four, I'm in the withdrawing stance. So my instinct in relationship and conflict, whatever that intense dynamic is to kind of step away. But I have an anxious attachment style, which we've said is high anxiety, low avoidance. So my anxiety is high in that relationship and I'm low avoid. I don't want to avoid the relationship. So my withdrawing thing tells me to back away, but my anxious attachment style says, don't avoid, don't avoid. So then I have to figure out my strategy is to come back to that and say, wait, I need that connection back. I need that connection back. Mm -hmm. So they're almost a little bit working against each other in me, which is probably why it becomes anxious within me in those intimate spaces. So that is my own personal example of how the two pair together, the stance, relational energy and the attachment style. And so the other one that's in that anxious style with you is what we are proposing is probably an Enneagram two. So they're going to high anxiety, low avoidance. So they're not going to engage in, they're not in the withdrawing stance though. They're in the dutiful or toward stance. So the problem with that is they're moving toward, but with high anxiety Mm -hmm. and yet they don't want to pull away because they have that low avoidance and they know connection with another person is really their lifeline for their identity. Um, So I'm not exactly sure how to pair that in the same lovely way that you just did with the withdrawing stance for a four. So it might not be working against and within a two, right? Because they, their stance is to go toward anyway. And their anxious attachment style is saying move toward because you need that connection. You have to grab it back. Yeah. So maybe it comes out with more at energy because it's a little bit more desperate when it's coming back at it or something. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that part is as important because I also know there are probably fours with a different attachment style or twos with a different attachment style. These sure. aren't like, if you're a four, this is your attachment style. It just seems to be that a lot of fours have an anxious attachment style, but it's not like born in you. Like we believe your Enneagram number is. So it also depends on what your relationship was with your caretakers when you were an infant or what kind of intimate relationships you've been in since then. So those are a little bit more fluid, I would think. Well, yeah. Cause I know that one of um, the other four that you and I would know that would, we know very intimately, she would not be anxious. She would be probably dismissive avoidant. And yeah. so it falls into a different one, but it's the high anxiety though. 
is still present. So maybe, I don't know, this is confusing. It is confusing. And I don't want to confuse people by saying all twos and fours are, but twos or fours could be a really good example of what that anxious attachment style looks like in intimate relationships. They need to pull into the other person for themselves to feel secure. Right. Right. So let's talk about that dismissive avoidant and fearful avoidant, what the difference is on those two. So they're both avoidant, but they break down differently depending on their anxiety. So that as avoidant, they're high avoidance. They're the two that are on the high avoidance stand, but the difference in the dismissive is their low anxiety, whereas the fearful are high anxiety. So let's flesh out a little bit about like what that might look like in an Enneagram type. I I can kind of keep those like those wordings um, distinguished because I just think of like they're both high avoidance, like you said, but the low anxiety, it's more like a nonchalant, like brush your hand away and walk away from the other person, like no skin off my back. And so that could potentially be Enneagram fives, I think would be a really good example potentially of that attachment style because it's emotionally detached, right? Like they're kind of avoiding the the conflict or that intense intimacy kind of thing. Um, but there's not a whole lot of anxiety around it or emotional intensity around it. Mm-hmm. Um, sevens, I don't know that I normally would have thought that sevens would be dismissive avoidant, um, but I've had a lot of people confirm as a seven that they are. So that's interesting to me. And maybe it's really sevens are so anti-conflict that it's easier to just kind of brush it off and walk away. Mm-hmm. you know because they so, don't want to deal with it maybe yeah right it's not that they're they would be afraid to deal with it but if they do then they might get stuck in this kind of very emotional connection that's feels trapped I don't know they're right. definitely not looking so fives and sevens are not looking for other people to um they're, they're not others referenced in that way you know so that makes a little bit of sense too like a two and four are looking to someone else in a sense. I know they're, I know fours aren't others reference, but they, but they do feel like they don't have what they need inside themselves. Right. So they're trying to figure out where the person is that has what they need. Um, and a two very much is like looking to other people for identity. A five and a seven are going to be in that more independent kind of mm-hmm. space where they, um, they don't really want to engage emotionally with others. So that kind of makes sense to be high avoidance in that, but also the low anxiety because they're not super wrapped up in um, emotions. Yeah. So then the fearful avoidant, also high avoidance, but these are the ones that have the high anxiety. So it's like they're walking away, but it's because they're afraid to not avoid. They're afraid to engage, right? Well, this makes sense for the six to me, but it, it doesn't quite make sense for an eight because I feel like they yeah. would be low avoidance, but you heard an eight talk about this. So how did they explain that? Well, no, oh. I don't remember that conversation. <laughs> That's great. Wait, was it on my Facebook? Did somebody say it there? Uh, I think it was a podcast that we were listening to. Oh, well, okay. Well, let's go back to the six for a minute. A six, we know they're going to be high anxiety um, because they don't trust themselves so that anxious part of them in attachment needs someone else, but they also have anxiety kind of around connection in general and trusting other people. So they're also going to be high avoidance. So that to me makes sense for a six completely. Like we can kind of throw that one out. Not that all sixes are, again, are fearful avoidant, but that makes sense to me if they are. 
eights was, do you remember the conversation you're trying to get me to tell? Well, I think it had something to do with they're not in touch with anxiety, like as a fear, because if you ask an eight, they just don't fear anything. But they're so much want to stay in an independent space where they, like someone else is not controlling them, that their anxiety is high around that. Mm. Like their anxiety is high around not having a fear because that puts them in a vulnerable position. Was it something like that? Yeah. Like if you ask an eight what they're afraid of, they'll say nothing, but they're all afraid of vulnerability and betrayal. Mm-hmm. They just won't put themselves in a position to be vulnerable or betrayed. So yeah. So, they, so that high anxiety is probably around keeping that independence so secure. Yeah. And so they avoid the same reason a six would is because, you know, they, there could be a power imbalance or there, there's something to fear there. That makes sense. I still don't remember where I heard that and why you're telling me to tell the story, but that makes sense. <laughs> All right. So all this gets us to the one that I'm the most confused about, which is the secure attachment. So they're low anxiety, low avoidance. So that means their anxiety is not going to stand in the way of an attachment and they're not avoiding. So that makes it easier because they're turning a little bit more toward, right? So that mm-hmm. makes sense that a one is in that space and they they also say a three. Mm-hmm. Um, I see that as a one would to have low anxiety and be turning toward to have that low avoidance. I yeah. don't know for sure if I see that in a three. Well, I think it's important to know that the l- low anxiety isn't like the person themselves never is anxious or has anxiety. This is literally low anxiety about intimacy. Okay. Like it, it's so it's, it's different than what, so I think that's why people don't like the word anxiety now, even in this kind of language, I've heard different things like low preoccupation or something like that. Preoccupied, I've heard a lot for anxious. Mm. So maybe it's that low preoccupation with that intimate relationship, but also they're not avoiding it. Like it's, you know what I mean? Okay. So they don't necessarily need it. So it's, it's a low preoccupation with finding it is what you're saying. It's not as desperate as I think the anxious is. Yeah. Well, I like that word it, to put preoccupation in the place of anxiety. So like a six and an eight, they have a high preoccupation with knowing where they stand among other people. That makes sense to me. Right. And a two and a four do as well for a different reason. And a five and a seven have a low anxiety because they don't really care where they stand with other people. Right. Same with a one and a three. Now, so then that avoidance like gets layered on there to separate those. So that makes, that actually makes a lot more sense to me. To, to substitute in preoccupied with anxiety. Yeah, yeah. I think so too. So, the, so you'll notice though, that we've really easily, we have eight of the numbers in those right. four quadrants. <laughs> so the, what, here's what the, the thesis did that I read. They took nines and I'm just going to blast this to pieces because I don't like it at all. They took Enneagram nines and divided them in half by their wings. And they said, if you're a nine wing eight, you're with the eights. If you're a nine wing one, you're with the ones. And I want to challenge that first of all, because nines, because they're the most like one of the most impartial numbers and because they are the most like all of the other numbers on the Enneagram. I don't think there are a lot of nines that have a really strong wing one way or the other. I think most nines either have really balanced eight and one wings or almost no wing in either of those. Like nines are firmly just nines because they already encompass so much of all eight numbers. So I don't know how you differentiate that unless, uh, I don't know. I know some nines are like, I have a big old eight wing and here's how it plays out. Okay. Most nines, I don't think so. The other thing is nines 
aren't anything like eights and they're not anything like ones. So my philosophy is that a nine probably could find themselves really easily in any of these attachment styles, just like they can find themselves in all eight other Enneagram numbers pretty easily. Yeah. It's not a great answer, but that's my answer. <laughs> um, and, and in some ways it doesn't matter a whole lot because um, as we've heard some people say, the goal is not to change your attachment style, right? but it's, again, it's an awareness thing. So we want secure attachment, but where I kind of want to question this is a one and a three, just because they have a secure attachment style doesn't mean they actually have had healthy, intimate relationships. Right. It just kind of means they could take it or leave it. <laughs> I think, right. like, you know what I'm saying? I don't know. I think the putting the word secure there versus like avoidant, anxious and all this, it makes it feel like they're really healthy. So everybody should act like a one and a three there. Well, we're just assuming that Enneagram, you know, goes in there, but that's not really the goal to change your attachment style. It's being aware of what your instinct is and what your strategies are for finding those deep connections. So actually as a one, because I would be, and again, I'm using me because I think this is accurate for me because I have a low preoccupation with attachment. I may not actually be seeking attachment where I do need it. Like I would be pro it if someone was coming for it, but I'm not necessarily (laughs) seeking it out. Like, I don't know that that's a healthier relationship to it than the other way, just because it's secure. So that's kind of what I'd like to learn a little bit more about. I mean, I don't know if you're asking me that question because I don't know the answer to it, but the other part of that, and I think that's why they've gotten rid of using the words a lot of times secure. And I think that's why they talk about anxiety and avoidance or preoccupation and avoidance more than those other terms. Mm -hmm. Um, But another thing is that there's the concept of um, balance. There's a different word for that. What is that? Balance in relationship. Um, The homeostasis. So is that what you're talking about? Like, yeah, like keeping it level. Uh-huh. So like in every interaction anywhere, there's an ups and equal reaction, right? So even mm-hmm. in like in our own body, there's this homeostasis that needs to happen. So some systems will go into overdrive to take care of other systems that are underproducing or whatever, because we need this like constant state to be healthy and alive. So the same thing, the theory is in relationships, there's a homeostasis that needs to stay present. So if one is really a uh, high avoidant and the other ones might, might not be their normal attachment side, but they may come down to low avoidant to try to like balance something out. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's, that's something that's interesting to consider, like how you are in maybe in your relationship with your parents was one thing, but then how that translate into an intimate adult relationship um, might shift a little bit and flow to try to keep that balance there of the energy. Yeah. Can we, we'll just throw us out as an example then, Um, because you and I are already opposite with anxiety. You're low anxiety. I'm high anxiety, but we're both low avoidance. But I have definitely seen times over our friendship where being a four and can do that push pull thing in relationships where I'll be high avoidant for a while and it kind of, and then you'll kind of be like, Hey, what, you know, what's going on? Like trying to come back and pull me out or, um, I'll be so low avoidance, high anxiety at you for a little while that almost that added energy coming at you that you might be more high avoidant and like, Hey, I just need some time or whatever that is. Um, so even though we had the same avoidance levels kind of naturally, we kind of ebb and flow with each other to keep that stasis. 
Because again, the thing that everybody actually wants is connection. Does I mean attachment is about connection? We just were not made to actually live completely as an island to ourselves. Um, so if you are in a relationship where this is kind of the default that you go this way and I go this way, but somebody's like shifted that, then the other person almost has to shift too to make sure that that balance is staying for the connection. Right. So like withdrawing stance people, for example, we were talking about this last week in stance work, they may need to leave to feel safe. And the ad energy is like, Oh, and so they chase them down. Well, that's actually not what that, you know, withdrawing needs, but this is like where the energy goes to kind of keep this connection there. So the same thing with attachment, it's like, Mm -hmm. we're trying to, we're trying to kind of regulate something. And what do you do? Like if somebody gets too hot, you add some cold water, right? Like you, you, you regulate by doing these opposite things. And so I, I feel like it's a little bit like that. I think that's interesting that if we wanted to extrapolate, like, then how are we attaching to God? Like most of us, the vast majority of us, I feel like probably don't have, or at least in some point in our lives have experienced an, an, what felt like an insecure attachment to the Lord, right? Either like just times in our lives where we felt, is he actually there? Do I have a relationship with him? Like, what is it? So, I mean, I don't know if I have an answer to this, except to know, like, what's your anxiety or preoccupation around that relationship with God? And what is your avoidance around your relationship with God? That's funny. Cause when you said that, I'm like, I've never had that question. (laughs) Oh, really? I would get mad at him sometimes if I thought he should have been doing something different for me, but I never have ever questioned since I was like three years old, if God was there or if I had a standing. And so that could be that secure thing. Like (laughs) I don't, I don't need a lot to prove it, I guess maybe. Okay. That's hilarious. Cause I'm like, I just don't think God talks to me anymore. (laughs) (laughs) So that could be part of it though. So that high anxiety would have a different, you know, preoccupation with where, where the other person is in the relationship. That's why I like that kind of language. It's not because you have a lot of fear. It's more about like what you're looking for. So I'm like, as long as you're like in the room, I feel good with this. We're good. Where you're like, are you next to me? Are you inside me? Are we with each other? Like what is going on? You know, so it's that preoccupation of where I am in relation to you. That makes a lot of sense about where the, how the anxiety can be explained. So I'm just like, Hey, I'm taking this on good authority that you're here. Okay. All right. What are we going to do about that? (laughs) Wow. Yeah. We are very different people. Well, it was also even with my parents. And again, I know that all of this is very dependent on your parents' personalities and everything. And I was like middle child of five kids, but oldest of the younger three. And, but I didn't, I really didn't need a lot. Like I really was good to just kind of be in the space without a lot of one-on-one like energy coming at me or something. Um, And I kind of sought a partner like that too. Like in my husband, like I really found someone who was like, we're here, we're like together in this, but neither of us, like he's not needing me to be too present and I'm not needing him to be too present. So I don't know if that's part of what we're trying to explain. <laughs> this is a very informative right. relationship. This is a very informative. <laughs> we're going to have some more conversations about this off the air, I think. <laughs> Why? I'm just like, I'm like, like light, like bombs exploding in my head. Like literally none makes- of this feels like new information. It's just different language. Things make sense to me right now. No, it's okay. <laughs> um, I don't know how to wrap this up. Well, some steps that you should take. Maybe think about like looking at this quadrant. 
what, what, how would you explain what your attachment to your parents were or your primary caregiver? Because that's going to inform a lot about how you go into your uh, relationships later in life and currently. Um, so just practicing awareness. So if you have like an anxious attachment, um, your, your automatic response might look more negative than if you had a lower anxiety, right? So recognizing that response is not necessarily because of what the other person is or isn't doing. So it's awareness about what you are, what the energy you're putting out is and what you're needing and how you're uh, like, like you said, preoccupied with this thing. And then maybe that awareness around, am I moving like in the avoidance? Am I, am I high there? Am I dismissive? Am I low avoidant? Like, what does that look like when I sense a connection issue? Am I moving toward or away? And so I think just having some awareness around what your instinct is, and especially in just, again, you're only going to see this in a few really intimate relationships. Um, but then you can, you can do some work with that. IFS is all about like reparenting our inner child, right? Like, where did I feel like, um, where, where was that, uh, anxiety coming from? Where did I feel like maybe I was looking in the room and no one was there, you know, and how can I be with that part of myself now as an adult who can be there and kind of soothe and help regulate, you know, your nervous system to just like come down to a base where you can start making some decisions. Um, but I do, I just think it comes back to everything. It's that awareness piece and then seeing how it plays out in relationship. And now what do I do with this information? Well, it's going to help me just naturally be in a more secure place. If I can recognize that just because I feel like someone has left, it doesn't mean that they actually have like, that's the whole point of that exercise that they did with the moms and babies was that when the mom came back, that's where the repair of the exit was. And so we have to figure out how do I reconnect now? You know, even though I might be crying because I was anxious or whatever, what, what do I do when the Lord is present, when the other person is here and how can I reconnect to actually have what I need to be secure? I just don't like using the word secure. Cause we just said that that was one of the attachment styles, but yeah, but I still think it's, it's the low anxiety, low avoidance in its proper place. I think that, I think that's what we should be going for. I think it is the most healthy of all of them. But again, I don't think it means all ones and all threes automatically have a secure attachment style. Right. I think it's more like in their natural untarnished state of everyone else's trauma and stuff piled on them. Ones and threes are naturally going to have more low anxiety, low avoidance than other numbers. Yeah. Um, The other thing is someone asked me like, how do you find your attachment style? And I, I don't, I mean, there are quizzes for it and I don't know enough about them to vouch for their like, credibility or anything um but basically I think you just kind of decide what is your attachment style and I think I texted you and I'm like I'm anxious right and you're like absolutely (laughs) so ask ask your closest people and see if they if that resonates with them I also think I have a different attachment style depending on who I'm talking about but that's another conversation for another day well that is probably like we said there's that homeostasis like there's this thing that happens when the other person in the relationship is different Mm -hmm. and how they're responding you know but ultimately it comes down to what do you need? I keep coming back to this word secure, but really like for, if we go back to the infant parent relationship, mm-hmm. um, one of the guys I quote a lot on here, Dr. Kurt Thompson uh, wrote the soul of shame. And he says, every individual that's born comes into the world looking for someone who's looking for them. 
And when I say that sometimes, like when I'm teaching or whatever, it just makes me cry because I'm like, that's what we all are desperately needing. We come into the world looking for someone looking for us. And depending on the capacity that your, um, you know, maternal figure or caregiver or whatever could, could offer is how we receive that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I think that's why I'm a little worried. Like not every secure attachment had the best caregiver necessarily. This isn't a direct correlation, but so it's partially filtered by our lens, which we would say is like our Enneagram type, right? Like the our personality coming into the world is going to be how we see what is being mirrored back to us. But then there's also what they're actually doing or not doing too. And so that just feels like there is some healing work that probably needs to happen. Um, And there, so that awareness piece can be part of that, but it's not to just blame everything on your parents. I mean, cause again, we kind of have our own bent toward what that would be because you could have a child who was neglected, who would have a, fearful avoidant. And you could have a child who was neglected, who would have a dismissive avoidant. Right. I mean, so just the parents neglect doesn't necessarily determine the attachment style. Right. But certainly that neglect impacted the attachment style, depending on what the lens of that baby was to start with in their own personality. It's interesting stuff. All right. Well, there's a half hour of a lot of new vocabulary, zero definitive answers. (laughs) And even the, some math and science concepts for you. You're welcome. <laughs> That's all I have to say. Um, yeah, I'm going to make a graphic and it'll be on my Instagram, but I'll also throw it in the show notes of this. So if you go to our webpage, you'll be able to see it there. Yeah, I think that'll be helpful. And if nothing else, it's just new vocabulary to learn. Um, if you've done any kind of counseling, you may have heard some of this, you know, maybe someone has talked to you about it before. And so we're just breaking it down to kind of demystify it a little bit while we concurrently confused ourselves. So we'll see if that's helpful or not. <laughs> oh, I mean, I think processing through this helped me like understand it even more now that we've talked through it multiple times, but I also think it's just a really good follow-up to what we said last week, because people who may not be able to relate to their stances, relational energy, it might be because you're more in that attachment style and you understand that part of it. So pairing these two together and going, oh, okay, so I might instinctively do this, but maybe I really do this in intimate relationships because of my attachment style. I think that'll help kind of explain that for you as well. Yeah, definitely. All right. Go take an online quiz or just do some more reading. Check out our graphic. We'll see. And let us know what is your Enneagram number and attachment style. I want to know if all if these theories are panning out. And that wraps up another episode of the Dauntless Grace Exchange. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app and leave a review so other people can find us. You can follow us on social media to stay connected. We're on Instagram at Dauntless Grace Ministries and our Facebook page is Dauntless Grace. For more about the Enneagram, visit our website at dauntlessgrace.org for coaching and training opportunities. And you can follow me at Enneagram Megan on Instagram. And be sure to check out our website for more information about today's podcast. Plus, you can click the resources tab to find books by all the authors we've spoken to or about. And you can find it at dauntlessgrace.org.